Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 cheapastro.com And this is Ceres, dwarf planet or very big asteroid. Ceres has had an interesting history with respect to celestial taxonomy. For nearly 50 years it was a planet, then it became an asteroid, and then it joined Pluto, which was a planet for a whole 76 years, to become a dwarf planet. And why is Ceres a dwarf planet? Well, it goes around the Sun, it's round, and being in the asteroid belt, it hasn't cleared its orbit. At least this planet decision didn't raise a lot of protest, since in our perception of celestial hierarchies, it seems it's better to be a dwarf planet than just a plain old asteroid. Indeed, since Ceres is substantially bigger than any other asteroid, it's unlikely to ever have to share the asteroid belt with any other dwarf planets, while Pluto has to share the Kuiper belt with Eris, Maki Maki and Haumea, with the risk of even more dwarf planets being identified in the future. Anyway, the history behind how Ceres was once considered to be a planet planet arises from the now largely debunked Bode's Law, which was mentioned in several publications in the 18th century, including a publication by Johann Bode in 1772, who then kind of took ownership for the idea. Bode's Law had it that with respect to the known planets at the time, Supposing the distance of the Earth from the Sun to be divided into ten equal parts, of these, the distance of Mercury will be about four, of Venus, seven, of Mars, fifteen, of Jupiter, fifty-two, and that of Saturn, ninety-five. Or, to put it another way, you always start with four, then add zero, three, six, twelve, twenty-four, forty-eight, each time doubling that number, where all these units are one-tenth of an astronomical unit. So, for example, Earth is 4 plus 6, that is, ten-tenths of an astronomical unit, or one astronomical unit. This was regarded as an interesting oddity about the visible planets, until the discovery of Uranus in 1781, at around the 180 mark by the above scale which was exactly where Bode's Law predicted the next planet out from Saturn should be. This led people to then question why there was a strange gap around the 28 mark between Mars at 15 and Jupiter at 52. Just as a coordinated search for this apparently missing planet was to commence, Giuseppe Piazzi, who was looking for something else at the time, kind of stumbled across Ceres and announced its discovery in 1801 at just the right orbit that had been predicted by Bode's Law. From there, Bode's Law enjoyed a long period of legitimacy until the discovery of Neptune in 1846, which really doesn't fit the law at all, and then Pluto's discovery in 1930 raised even further doubts since it doesn't fit either there's still discussion amongst astronomers in idle moments about whether the remarkable fit of the seven innermost planets and Ceres with the predictions of Bode's Law means something. Orbital resonance, maybe? Some kind of inevitability in the way gas clouds collapse down into planetary disks? But 
By and large, it's mostly considered to be just a coincidence. Here in 2010, we can anticipate a whole new body of data coming in on extrasolar planets, which will enable us to determine if any such relationship exists around other stars, but it probably doesn't. Anyway, whatever else it might be, Ceres is a right whopper of an asteroid. It's thought to represent around 30% of the mass of the entire asteroid belt, with a diameter of 950 kilometres, which is nearly double that of the next biggest ones, being Vesta and Pallas. But to put all that in perspective, Ceres only has 4% of the mass of the Moon, and a bit less than a third of its diameter. Now that gives some indication that Ceres has a lower density than the Moon, which suggests that Ceres does have volatiles, but perhaps not in the form of a significant atmosphere. Current thinking has it that it is composed of a rocky core with a relatively thick mantle of ice. And maybe, just maybe, there might be some amount of liquid water below that icy crust. This, of course, makes it a potential candidate for little swimmy things, but we've never got close enough to it to observe for any clear evidence of it having liquid water. Evidence like the cracks seen in Europa's icy surface, or the water geysers observed from Enceladus. Also, there's no obvious reason why Ceres would have much geological activity, or an internal geothermal heat source that would be sufficient to melt ice to water, and it's a bit far out for the sun's heat to do that on its own. To date, our best observations of Ceres come from the Hubble telescope, which only gives a hint of faint surface features, so it's hard to know what's really going on there. To get a close-up look at Ceres, we await the arrival of the Dawn spacecraft. Launched in 2007, and due to arrive at Ceres in 2015, after first flying past Vesta, which is either the second or third biggest asteroid, depending on whether you measure by mass or diameter. Now, Dawn is an iron-drive spacecraft, meaning its main propulsion is achieved by accelerating ionised particles of xenon gas past an electromagnet, which then blasts those particles out the back of the spacecraft. And guess just how much thrust you get from firing subatomic particles at high speed out the back of your spacecraft. In deference to top gear, let's do this in miles per hour. Dawn can do 60 in four days. Yeah. Needless to say, the iron drive wasn't used to launch Dawn from Earth. Back in 2007, a Delta II rocket was used to give it an initial push past Earth's escape velocity of 11.2 kilometres a second. Nonetheless, an iron drive is a very efficient spacecraft propulsion system, at least to as far out as the asteroid belt, where there is still enough sunlight to power the solar panels, which power the electromagnet, that accelerates the ions. Well, there's just enough sunlight. It's calculated that Dawn's solar arrays, which can produce 10 kilowatts of power around Earth, will produce 1.4 kilowatts around Ceres. After leaving Earth in 2007, Dawn used 72 kilograms of xenon to increase its velocity by another 1.8 kilometres a second, 
enabling it to then do a flyby of Mars for a gravity assist, taking advantage of some of Mars's 24 kilometres a second orbital velocity back in February 2009. And it might have even taken some travel snaps of Mars, except the computer went into safe mode for no apparent reason due to a software glitch. Right now, Dawn is slowly chewing through another 200 kilograms of xenon to get to Vesta in 2011, and then it will use a further 100 kilograms to get to Ceres in 2015, leaving it with about 40 kilograms of xenon for contingency manoeuvring. All going well, Dawn will commence reducing its altitude to within 25 kilometres of the surface of Ceres in 2015, which will be our very first close-up look at a dwarf planet, because New Horizons won't get to Pluto until six months later. Mind you, it remains to be seen whether either of these celestial bodies will still be classified as dwarf planets. I mean, this is a whole five years away. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nellick from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website with a whole series of podcasts. Series, you know. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye.